0: Let me just say, my parents did that to me, Hal Haller. So this message applies to me because it's on forgiveness. <laughs> what a pleasure it is to be with you here this morning. Uh, just as a way of introduction, I'm the Associate Executive, Executive Director for the Baptist Churches of New England. It's a big fancy title, meaning I just help our Executive Director with the ministries that we do. I've actually been here to the church a couple of times, not for Sunday morning service, but uh, disaster relief, that's one of the things I oversee, and uh, we had a great meeting in the fellowship hall, and then we also had an Asian fellowship, and whether you realize it or not, you're a a part of a church that's in a network of churches of nearly 400 churches, and we collaborate and connect together, and uh, so I've been here with other pastors and other ministries. And what a joy it is for me to be able to speak with you here this morning. I'd like for you to turn in your Bible or your phone, if you prefer your phone, to Luke chapter 17, and we're going to look at a teaching of Jesus that corresponds with a parable that actually supports the teaching that Jesus gives. And right from the beginning, I'm just going to tell you the intended meaning of this parable. And then later, I'm going to complete the meaning of this parable. So, straight up, here it is in a nutshell. There is a never-ending need for forgiveness. There is a never-ending need for forgiveness, and this teaching is so valuable. You know why? Because forgiveness will be one of the greatest challenges of your life. It will be one of the greatest challenges to your faith and sometimes the most powerful expression of your faith in Christ. Now, to understand the parable Jesus speaks, we need to look at the teaching right before it because Jesus then illustrates it with a story. So, Luke chapter 17, look at verse 1. And Jesus said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he was cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Now here in this verse, Jesus is talking about the nature of sin, of offense, and forgiveness. And he gives us two realities and two corresponding commands to remedy the realities that he speaks of. So let me give you the first reality he shares. The first is this, you will succumb to temptation. How's that for a hopeful thought? You will succumb to temptation. If you're honest, you know how vulnerable you are to sinning. In fact, there's not a single person in this room who has not succumbed to some kind of temptation. The Bible says all have sinned. And you and I have taken the plunge into sin, and many of us can tell stories of how we've been marred by the consequences of those sins. Now, there's some people think that they could be pretty good or even immune to sinning. Years ago, I was teaching a Bible study, and there was a gentleman in my group who said, you know, as a Christian, you can attain perfection here in this life And not sin anymore he believed he was on his way to living a sinless life and i told him i said now i want you to understand that god does demand holiness from us but at times you are going to sin you're never going to arrive at perfection until one day you get to heaven but if you sin i just want to tell you confess your sin to god And he would just go round and round with me, just arguing this point for months, that somehow or another, by telling him this reality, that I was somehow compromising the truth. Well, later that year, he ended up cheating on his wife. Folks, anyone who says that they don't sin or that they're not going to sin in the future is just setting themselves up for a big fall. You know, first 1 John 1:10 says this, if we claim we have not sinned, you are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in your life. So you must walk in humility, knowing that at any moment you are vulnerable to sin. So be careful. The temptations are coming. So guard your heart and mind and don't fall to temptation. That's why Jesus says we must pay attention. And in light of our propensity to sin, here's what Jesus says. Don't let your sin become a stumbling block to others. You see, your sin doesn't just impact you. It impacts the people around you. Sharon and i this week we watched a, a documentary on this man who found a way to steal bourbon from this from this company he was working from and uh, he ended up sort of selling it on the black market anyways he gets caught and you can hear his story as he's weeping about not just the consequences on his life but his wife ends up getting indicted even though she didn't have any part of it his kids are weeping because of their father going to jail and the whole family is a wreck our sins don't just impact us they impact the people around us if if you were in a family if you grew up in a family where your parent was an alcoholic you understand what i'm talking about so jesus gives this clear warning be careful live holy walk in the spirit and not in the flesh because sin has ravishing outcomes look at verse 3 pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The next thing that Jesus says is, you're not only going to sin, but guess what? Someone is going to sin against you. And that's the reality. You will be sinned against by somebody else it's a given don't be surprised when someone else sins you're a sinner just like them that's the reality now why is it that when somebody offends you or does something wrong against you why do you act all surprised and hurt it's gonna happen and by the way it's gonna happen in this church in a spiritual family like this, it's just a matter of time before someone's going to hurt you. Someone's going to sin against you. It may be intentional, it may be unintentional, but it's going to happen. So don't be surprised because nobody's perfect, including you and me. So when it happens, what do you do? I'm glad you asked that question. Because Jesus gives us a directive right here in the passage. Confront the person. If they repent, forgive them. And keep forgiving them every single time they repent. You see, when you get hurt, you take the initiative and you confront the person. If they apologize, Jesus says, forgive them. And each time they hurt you, you follow the same process, and if they repent, you forgive. Now, I want to explain this a little bit more. And I want to talk about this because there is a pathway for resolving offenses uh, among believers and even among others. It starts when both people do their part in reconciling with one another, You see, number one, your resolution to an offense, it has to be mutual. That's what Jesus was talking about. It means that both people do their part for a genuine reconciliation to take place. You see, one has to repent, and the other one has to forgive. In order for a matter to be completely resolved, the way that Jesus describes it, you see, the offended takes the initiative by confronting them, and the offender must express sorrow, must apologize, repent, and say, you're right, I'm wrong, and then the matter is settled. Now, what happens if someone doesn't repent, and they're clearly in the wrong? Well, you can't have the reconciliation that Jesus is talking about here. But you can still internally forgive them. You can forgive the person even if they don't own up to their own offense. But the beautiful part is, is when someone repents you have the ability to freely forgive. And when the offended offers forgiveness you know what happens? Both of them receive healing and cleansing. Healing because the repented person no longer is held to the wrong. Healing because the person who forgives no longer carries it in their heart. Cleansing because the person who repented is now released from their sin. Cleansing because the person who forgave no longer is tempted to become bitter or resentful. You see, the relationship is made whole between both of them. You see, there's a mutual responsibility. And when that responsibility is fulfilled, guess what? A mutual benefit takes place. It's received. The one offended avoids bitterness, resentment, and grudges. And the offender receives healing when the offense is canceled. Let me put it this way. When you forgive, it's the most physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually healthy thing that you could ever do. It frees, it cleanses, it heals, and connects. Now, if forgiveness is that powerful, then how should we forgive? I want you to look again at this passage. Jesus says, forgive him. And in verse 4, he says, and if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Now, there are four ways forgiveness must be offered here in what Jesus is talking about. Number one, forgiveness must be immediate. Immediate. Immediate immediate to prevent any toxic attitude taking root in your life. He says if if he sins seven times turn immediately and you forgive the person seven times. You see there's no waiting period. You can't say, well you know when I feel like it, when I feel like it's the right time to forgive him, then I'll forgive him. No, you do it immediately. You don't get to choose the timeline in which you can forgive the other person. When a person repents, you immediately forgive them. Secondly, forgiveness must be generous. Generous so no offense overtakes you and so that others can be healed. Jesus says if he sins seven times in a day, forgive him seven times. Now, the number seven, this number is used for a reason seven is considered a perfect number here's the idea you keep forgiving the person that's the perfect response to someone who keeps messing up and repenting jesus would later sort of put this teaching on steroids and tell his disciples to forgive you remember 70 times seven it's not only the perfect thing to do Remember that forgiveness has no limits. You keep forgiving every time. You see, it's a generosity that never, ever runs out. If you forgive immediately, and often I promise a root of bitterness and resentment will never, ever take root in your heart. The third is is that forgiveness must be urgent. Jesus says you must forgive him. You see, there's a real seriousness about what Jesus is saying. There's no wiggle room to pursue anything else. The urgency to forgive, believe it or not, is tied to Christ's mission. Jesus said that the world would come to know him when his people, the church, are one, perfectly unified and together. Lost people without Christ will be attracted to a community that loves and forgives. Not a community that's perfect, but one that is reconciled. There is no time to bicker and be divided. There's an urgency to what we must do and how we must live with each other, and that is to forgive. Finally, Forgiveness must be habitual or regular. You see, forgiveness should be the lifestyle of every believer. It should be a habit. Like, this should be your natural default. You know why? Because that's the way God deals with you. Whenever you repent to God, what does He do? He forgives you constantly and regularly his forgiveness has no end and god forgives you every time let me remind you of first john 1 9 if we confess our sins god is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness what an amazing god that we have so you must forgive immediately generously, urgently, and regularly. This is the way of demonstrating God's rule and reign in your heart as you serve him. And every time we see a parable in the Bible, which we're about to look at, the parables, the story Jesus said is, this is how you live in my kingdom. This is the way. And Jesus says, forgiveness is the way. It is central to the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. When Jesus describes forgiveness to the disciples in this way, do you know how they respond? I'm going to paraphrase here. Jesus, I don't know how we can do this. Maybe you're thinking the same thing. (laughs) This seems absolutely impossible. So they say, Lord, increase our faith. And although the disciples believed you needed more faith to completely forgive someone, Jesus wanted them to know that what he was teaching them was possible for every follower of Christ. They didn't need more faith. I'll explain. And the parable we're about to discuss emphasizes how this kind of forgiveness actually can be accomplished and i want to finish the beginning statement that i shared with you here in this message there is a never-ending need for forgiveness and it is accomplished through humility you don't need more faith you just need to be humble When Jesus spoke this teaching about forgiveness in verse 5, the disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. Disciples heard the teaching on forgiveness and said, I don't think anybody can do that, especially us. And so they say, Lord, increase our faith. But the better statement would have been, Lord, increase our humility. I'm going to explain this statement in just a moment. Just hang on to this idea. Now, Jesus doesn't immediately say, Wrong answer, disciples, you're getting it totally wrong. Forgiveness takes humility, he doesn't say that. But since they bring up faith, Jesus pauses and speaks about what faith really can do. And in verse 6, he says, If you had faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And then he says, Anything is possible when your faith is applied. And then he illustrates the teaching on forgiveness. It's like this little minor distraction. It's a good little teaching, but now he's coming back to what he originally talked about in the parable of the humble, obedient servant. Verse 7. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline At the table now I think most of us here in the room can answer this question I mean the implied answer is no the servant still has responsibilities he has a job to do he's not just paid to sit down take a nap or take a break whenever he wants which by the way is a job I would love to have you could pay me to sleep that would be awesome but no that's not what a servant does Look at verse 8, will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? He just kind of lays out the job description, fix me food, get me dressed and serve me dinner. I'm the priority because that's what you're supposed to do. You're not doing me a favor because I'm paying you to do this. And I think most people would understand this response as well. Well, yeah. The master's needs come first because he's paying them to do that. And then he says, after you take care of the master, then you can take care of yourself. That's how it works. That's how it worked 2,000 years ago. And actually, that's how it works today. Now, notice what Jesus says in verse 9. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? Probably not. I mean... What kind of question is that? It's really a rhetorical question. No, I mean, the servant is only fulfilling his obligations. That's the expectation. Now, if you go over and above and do more than what's expected, then perhaps maybe you get a thank you or maybe a bonus for exceeding expectation. But doing your job doesn't merit a thank you. Because you're doing... Exactly what you're expected to do. Now Jesus then gives a powerful conclusion to the parable. Verse 10. So you also, would you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Now here is what Jesus is saying. There's no trophy, no special recognition from your master when you forgive others. He expects that in humility, as an unworthy servant, that you will do what your master expects of you, and here it is, to forgive others it doesn't take more faith. It doesn't take more effort. It doesn't take more courage or fill in the blank. You know what it takes? It takes humility. You simply obey your master, Jesus, and do what he asks you to do. And you know what it is? Forgive. Now, as we close, I want to just give you two points of application. I want you to remember these two points. The first one is this. Forgiving others is simply what you do in service to others. Forgiveness is your way of life. When a brother or sister repents, you forgive immediately, generously, without delay, and regularly. You're going to need to forgive in this way because one day... You're going to need this kind of forgiveness in the future. You will sin against someone, and you're going to need that person to forgive you. Humility is shown when you offer and you ask for forgiveness. Humility is really shown when you can do that. You see, this is not a choice. It is your duty this is your expectation secondly your devotion to jesus as your master is proven in the matter of forgiveness now i get it forgiving others can be extremely difficult painful and tiring at times i mean you'll struggle and wrestle with pride as you'd rather punish that person then forgive them. But with unforgiveness comes bitterness and wrath and anger and resentment and rage and a host of all other toxic attitudes and behaviors. You don't want those poisonous aspects in your life. So in humility and in obedience to your master, You forgive. And when you forgive, you most resemble Jesus, who has also forgiven you and keeps forgiving you. And when you choose to forgive, you are demonstrating your commitment and devotion to Jesus. And when you forgive, it does a couple of things. When you forgive, it's a powerful witness to everyone around you people are amazed that when you are offended and sometimes in the most painful ways you have the ability to forgive that person they'll be amazed and when you forgive it authenticates the genuineness of your faith you understand what jesus did for you and you are willing to pass that on to others now let me ask you a question this morning is there someone that you need to forgive? Is there perhaps a group of people that you need to forgive? Years ago, when I was in seminary, I had a good friend. His name was Chris Carrier. He walked with a pronounced l- a limp, and his eye was all messed up. One day, I said, Chris. You know, what happened to your eye? Like, you know, I noticed you have some kind of physical disability. What happened? He said, when I was 10 years old, I was kidnapped from my home. And a man took me out into the Everglades. This was in Florida. He lived in Miami. And with an ice pick, he stabbed me and then took a gun and shot me in the left side of my head. I was 10 years old. I was on the western side of the Everglades, which is from Miami, it's almost on the other side of the state of Florida. He dropped me off out in the middle of nowhere. For almost six days, most of those six days I was unconscious, but I awoke, I found myself stumbling on a road and some people found me, I got medical care and I survived. I said, that's awful. He said, yeah, it was awful. And he said, you know, the media was out in a rage looking and searching for me frantically and then looking for the attempted killer who tried to murder me. They actually put a lineup together and actually the person who did all those terrible things to me was in the lineup. He was a primary suspect, but I could not positively identify him, especially with all the trauma I'd gone through. And so for years, this became an unsolved case. But for 22 years... I prayed for the person who tried to take my life. And one day, I got a phone call from a detective who found out that the primary suspect who had tried to kill me was now in a nursing home and he was dying. And out of just one more shot, the detective went out there and just said, hey, did you commit this heinous crime? And on his deathbed, he admitted... To trying to kill my friend chris when the detective called him he immediately went to the nursing home and he he sat next to him at this point he had lost his sight and he had grabbed his hand and the man said to him i'm so sorry for what i have done and my friend chris said for the past 22 years i've been praying for this moment And I want to let you know, I forgive you. And for the next couple of months, he regularly went to his bedside until he passed away. That broken man found Jesus Christ in his conversations with him. There was redemption that took place because of my friend. Now, I want you to put yourself in my friend's shoes. Could you imagine someone doing something like that to you to end your life for 20 something years not being filled with anger rage and bitterness i mean he went through all kinds of counseling it had a tremendous impact on his life but the superseding thing for him was i'm going to love that person i'm going to pray for that person and i've asked god that maybe one day i could forgive that person in person and god gave him his request Could you imagine doing that? Now, folks, this is what Jesus is talking about. This is what he's asking us to do. No matter what it is, we are to forgive. Don't pray, Lord, help me to forgive. Say, Lord, I will forgive. That's your expectation of me. I will do it. I am your unworthy, sinful person who will simply express the love and forgiveness of God to others. Now, I know some of you might be sitting there and you're like, I don't want to do that. You don't know what this person has done to me. You don't know how I've felt about this person all of this time. I, I get it, I understand. But this is what Jesus is saying. And this is what he expects from you and me who follow Christ and proclaim him. We must forgive. If you decide that you will forgive, you will be liberated from the poisonous aspect of unforgiveness. And you know what God will do? In exchange, he will give you a heart of love and forgiveness. And you will be healed some of you need to walk out of this room healed some of you need to let this garbage go and make a decision as your master jesus has told you to do to forgive that person now if you're here this morning and you want to make that decision i want to lead you in a prayer you don't have to bow your head you don't even have to close your eyes You can just say something like this to God in your mind. Lord, I humble myself. I humble myself before you and before the other person. Help me to let go of my pride. And as your servant, I will do what you expect me to do. I promise to forgive. Let's pray together. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I want to give you a moment here to make a few decisions. Perhaps you're, you're here this morning, you have never received the love and the forgiveness of God. Today's your day. As we heard earlier in the testimony, someone stepped into heaven. You have that opportunity to step into heaven. You can say jesus christ forgive me of my sin you have a debt of sin it needs to be forgiven and canceled say christ i trust you i put my faith in you a simple confession of faith can wipe away your sin debt and you can come into a relationship with him now and for all of eternity perhaps you're here this morning and you're still struggling to let it go Again, I want to challenge you here this morning, and I also want to invite you to seriously think about what Jesus is expecting of you. Perhaps with undogged perseverance, you will say, God, I will forgive. Maybe you're here and just grateful that God has forgiven you, just Express your appreciation to him. Say, God, thank you. I'm a terrible, rotten, lousy sinner. But you love me and you forgive me every time. Thank you. I can always come to you. Folks, you don't have to live in guilt and condemnation. You don't have to live in shame. Just turn to him. Maybe there's something going on in your life right now you know you need forgiveness for. Just confess it. Ask for his healing in your life. In a few moments after I pray, we'll have a couple of deacons here. If you want to pray with someone to encourage you, to support you in any any spiritual decision or forgiveness, they're going to be available to you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the short time we've had together just to open your word together. Lord, whatever it is that you have to say to us, help us to listen. And Father, give us the courage in obedience to do what you've asked us to do. We pray this together in the name of Jesus. Amen.